Oh, in, uh, with Beretta. Hey, I'll even be nicer than Ben. I'm hitting the record button, so don't talk crazy. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Notice how much nice, how much nicer I am to you guys. <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. I am your honorary host, Joel, on deck tonight. We have Professor Kim. Hello. And Dr. Andreas Yankopoulos. Hey, party people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no Ben tonight. Ben is having uh, power issues due to a recent storm that came through. So it's going to be quite a spicy podcast. It was probably too spicy, honestly, for Ben to be on. So <laughs> it's probably good he set this one out. Uh-oh. I know. What if I walked into? <laughs> exactly. You're about to find out. Um, everybody has a topic. Would one of you guys want to go first? Sure, I have a show and tell. Oh, baby. So one of the I picked up a pair of Bretta's a while back and Bretta doesn't make it easy to buy holsters mm -hmm. that you have. There's the standard uh, slide width, like the, the, the Elite 2 or the, um, the 92X slide width. And then some of the other ones have a Brigadier slide that's heavier and thicker. And then there's also most of the Bretta's have a flush takedown lever. And the 92X Performance has a extended one that functions like a gas pedal. And then there's also whether or not you have optics on the uh, the pistol. And that, that changes things around a little bit, too. So finding, oh, also when you put an optic on, you typically have taller sights, so suppressor height sights on the, on the pistol. So I went through a lot of holsters trying to find one that would fit both guns, my 92X Performance and then my uh, 92X from uh, LTT with a, a red dot on it. And what I finally found that works is this guy, the Black Scorpion. Uh, it's like their heavy, their heavy duty competition holster. So it's a okay. metal, it's a metal hanger. It's a lot like a boss hanger. Okay. The, one of the big differences is that the holster only has two holes in it. So there are two vertical holes for mounting. So you can't just put the shell on a boss hanger. So you gotta, you gotta use their hanger. I mean, there's okay. the way it's cut in the back, you can't really drill it out to go on a boss hanger either. But so you have to use their hanger with their holster. Is that correct? Yeah. So you're out like about 90 bucks for this thing. Okay. But, um, it does have a very, you have, it's what's nice is it's, I like that it has all, it's all Allen screws. I like so that. It's, so it's all Allen, so which, that's kind of nice. And it has a very firm locking system on the back. I don't know how well you can see back here, but the screws are kind of wide, or the heads are kind of wide. And what you do is there are a couple detents in here. So you back the screw out, you move the cant of the holster, or the height of the holster to the next detent, and then you tighten it down. So it's not, even if the screws lo loosen up a little bit, the holster is not going to start walking around on you, which is kind of cool. And then, um, yeah, so as far as like fitting, you got the, the 92X, it has like this fairly wide takedown lever on it. Uh -huh. And it just, uh, it drops right in. So the holster doesn't have really any retention. It's kind of, it's a gun bucket. So it's a very smooth draw. The pistol just jumps right out. Oh, it looks like it. Yeah, it's okay. like a. So I have a little, uh, just a little shock cord that I use. 
to kind of sure. hold the pistol in when I'm walking around doing high speed walkthroughs or teaching. Sure. And then um, the the 92X, it's the same thing. You can see it has pretty tall sights on it. Mm -hmm. And they just made the sight channel tall enough that it, it slides right in. So there were a couple other pistol or a couple other holsters I tried. And like there was one that like the Blade Tech fits the 92X performance, but the sight channel is not tall enough for the suppressor sight height. So that didn't work. And then there were some others, like there was a, um, I forget, it was a ghost holster that was, it had a tall enough sight channel for the, uh, for the, um, the suppressor height sights, but it was really a very contoured fit to the gun. So when you tried to put in the, uh, the 92X performance with the, uh, the Brigadier slide, it didn't fit in at all. Okay. So, so yeah, we'll see so far, uh, this, this might be the ticket. I'm, uh. I have a couple holsters that I've tried. I have one buddy who's making me a holster, so we'll see how that turns out. But um, as far as something you can order and have shipped next day, as opposed to waiting for a couple of weeks, uh, yeah, the Black Scorpion gear is pretty cool. Or a couple of months. I mean, in some yeah. cases, let's be real. Yeah, uh, I found I found out about the company from uh, Sal Luna that he had mm -hmm. picked. He'd gotten some of their stuff right before uh, Steel Challenge, and one two divisions using the holster so i figured oh, wow. uh if it works for sal it's probably gonna if sal's using it on his own volition it's probably pretty good let's be real sal's pretty good with anything oh yeah i mean yeah. you could take like a high point out and he'd still be beating somebody <laughs> with it so he's pretty yeah, practicing fantastic shooting shoot. with him is pretty demoralizing <laughs> yeah he's fantastic that's awesome i have a question yes yes so i'm aware that i actually looked at it when i first got my q5 because they were one of the first companies that came out the holster with so they give you the, really the hanger with it, right? Yeah. The hanger is uh, part of the deal. And yes. how adjustable is that? It is, I mean, you can, so on the back, you can kind of see, you can adjust it up and down here. Okay. So, so it'll drop down a little bit below where it is. And you have some forward and backwards cant adjustment. And I haven't taken the whole thing apart yet to see if you can slide the holster up and down on the hanger or not. There are a couple of holes inside the holster. So I think there's a little bit more vertical adjustment if you go in there. So would you say it's similar to boss hanger? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, a big difference is that the boss, the cant is, uh, the, the cant is infinitely adjustable. You just, you set the cant with tension. Mm -hmm. And on this one, the Black Scorpion, it's drilled out. So you have you have five cant positions. So there's neutral, two forward, and two backwards. Sounds like a good option. So it's a little different. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so far, so far I'm liking it. I like it. So. Uh, I can't help myself. I have a side question. I noticed you have iron sights. It looks like backup iron sights. Yeah, that's... That's the standard when you send the pistol to LTT. The um, the mounting plate for the optic has an integrated rear sight, and then they okay. put on a suppressor height front sight. And it's a pretty nice package. I mean, it's the the sights end up being like lower fifth, so they're barely visible in the bottom of the uh, of the optic. It's not like uh, they really don't obstruct the uh, the field of view on the optic at all. I mean, when you when you line up the uh, 
like a lower third. Is that fair? Like a lower fifth. Okay. Low. When you when you um, line up the dot with the front sight, it's way down at the bottom of the optic. Okay. So there's very little obstruction of your uh, field of view through the optic. It's a pretty nice setup. They kind of realize that the the, the optic the, the the sights are there for like worst case use. It's like about as far down as you could make it, still make it reasonable to use. Gotcha. Okay. No, I was just curious. I, I well, mine's I have to move it. It's about three yards from me, and uh, I just took the plastic front sight off my Glock and the rear sight, and it's in a trash can or a box somewhere, so I don't have irons on mine at all. There you go. You switched to Beretta this year? Yeah? From yeah. Tempolio? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you like that? It just, the, the pistol is a little, it's the grip's a little bit smaller, and it just fits me better. So I'm, I'm very happy with my switch. You didn't really uh, find, like, any noticeable performance difference? It's a, it's a stellar gun, man. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of, the, the grip is kind of short on it. Well, so I think let me let me add a little bit. I Andreas and I chat pretty pretty regularly, and he was running into problems with his Tanfolio, where the magazine release button wasn't quite in the right spot, mm-hmm. getting like the grips, finding the right grip panels. I mean, is it fair to say Andreas the gun just didn't fit? There's nothing wrong with the gun. Yeah, it just didn't all. it didn't fit your hands quite right. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I was texting you a couple times during dry fire and yes. asking. Yeah, is it normal that you just can't reach the the uh, the magazine release? Yes, or your safety, or like where does your 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 thumb yeah. is your thumb on the safety because it wasn't in the right spot so it just yeah. it wasn't a good fit for you yeah and then you got the beretta and it was just magic because it felt like <laughs> you're you could hit all the controls like and it, it, yeah it fit your hand and you yeah if you have it. small if you have small hands it's the bomb i'm going to put up a longer review on uh, pstg over the holidays sounds awesome because there's some good stuff about it and then there, there are definitely some some drawbacks to it yeah sure i personally haven't shot a beretta I mean, I've shot like a couple rounds uh, at the range, maybe. But as uh, uh, as far as I know, it's a uh, metal frame too, yeah? Yeah, the the 92X performance, and they also have, a, there's now the performance carry or the performance something or another. There's a lightened version that fits the uh, the IDPA rule book. Oh, it's the, the, the performance defensive, I think, or the 92X defensive, something like that. But it's um these these guns like the the performance and the defensive are it's a steel frame and a steel slide, and the standard Berettas are an aluminum frame and a steel slide. So the weight's kind of interesting. It's kind of halfway between a a Glock and a Tanfo. That when you pick it up, it's noticeably heavier than a Glock, but it's noticeably lighter than a Tanfo. Interesting. So it's kind of an interesting split split the difference. I actually owned an Elite 2 a long before I ever even I don't know if I was shooting USPSA then. Yeah, maybe I was just the very beginning, but I mean it's kind of a fun gun to play around with and the magazines are readily available and inexpensive. Yeah, so. it's the same like I think I swear the magazine tubes are the same thing that's used in a Canik and a Walther. Gotcha. So when you hold them next to each other, they're the tubes look absolutely identical. And I think with a a Dremel you could easily just change where the uh mag release cutout is and, and use them between each other not a gunsmith that sounds like disaster there you go mm-hmm. anyway uh a good topic professor what do you want to talk about sir yes uh well i i have also kind of equipment uh, topic oh boy <laughs> so this year um i was 
of course, ran out of primers and I was running out of bullets uh, pretty big time. So I, I got to try many different coated bullets this year. So I was the first ones I bought uh, was very thinly coated, although it was very cheap. And I was having all sorts of issues uh, while reloading and then some accuracy issues and some smoke issues. So I started asking people around and then I got a couple of recommendations. So I got to try other coated bullets that are higher quality. Uh, price wasn't necessarily like much more, maybe just a little bit more. Uh, so one thing I realized is there is different thickness of coating when you buy coated bullets. Some coated bullets have a thicker coat and some are thinner coat. And the ones I bought in the beginning, uh, it was very thin. So I was having some scrapping issue. And although a lot of them were fixed by belling the case more, but then still the, the, the weird thing I found some of the coated bullets I used was the quality was not good. The bottom of the bullet had weird like marks. And sometimes they kind of crooked the bullet and the bullet wasn't sitting straight. And sometimes it'll barge out uh, and like the side of the bullet, you can see the lead scraped when it was getting seated. Mm -hmm. And often it led to some accuracy issue, some smoke issue, things like that. And then finally, people start recommending good coated companies. So like the two, I mean, there's more. Uh, but the first two I really liked was the Brass Monkey, Brass Monkey Bullets, and the Blue Bullets. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I, it, when I used them, immediately I noticed the coating was a lot thicker. So even though it can scrape a little, it would scrape the coating color, but it'll not expose the lead. So the leading or the smoke was a lot less, even if I'm not particularly paying attention to the reload. So that was really good. And then on another thing, like those two companies, I noticed like when I look at the base of the bullet, the the cutout shape was very, very consistent. And it was, uh, what's the term? Uh, it, the bottom was shaped so that it'll go into the bullet really nicely. Like a bevel, yeah. Beveled, right. yes, that's the word. Mm -hmm. So they were very nicely beveled. So, and also I found the weight consistency was better than some of the companies I, I was using. And again, all those all these companies didn't really have much of a price difference to say. I mean, all coated bullets pretty cheap, and I think pe anybody who's shooting with a high volume, of course, without sponsorship, uh, needs to shoot coated bullet because mm -hmm. financially it'll make a lot of difference after you shoot like ten thousand rounds. Yes. Uh, so that's one thing I I was really curious about, uh, like what other coated bullets are there? Why? are they more just better quality with the same price so i was i was just wanted to drop those two companies mm -hmm. and then one more thing i experimented with this year was because of the primer shortage i got to use many different companies and even like different primers like small rifle primers uh, pistol magnum and uh, there was only one primer that did not work in my Walther or any many other pistols too. I actually tried other guns as well. Uh, that was number 41 CCI. I think that that was the military grade 5.56 AR uh, mm. primers. Those weren't working, uh, at least in a consistent manner at all. So that one retired to my PCC load, which worked phenomenal. 
Uh, Are those I really a, like a white box that say like military or five five six or something on them? Yes, that's the white box with black letters. Yes. Yeah, those are supposed to be crazy hard to set off. Yeah, you'll see a noticeable difference. So the packaging is noticeably different. Yes, than their standard. Yeah, you look at a uh, you look at the hammer in an AR-15, and that's what's designed to set them off. I mean, that's you're here looking at a hammer that probably weighs ten times as much as the the hammer on a Tanfo or sure. CZ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my experience. I'm currently running because I don't have any anything else. I'm running the um, small rifle. Just regular small rifle, mm-hmm. Federal 205. That's what I'm running, and I did not have any light strike with Walther, although I did have light strike with my other uh, Tenfolio and CZ guns with the lighter hammer spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with those, if I shoot a magazine full, I would get like a round of light strike. Of course, those are highly tuned with the lighter hammer strike. I believe they can get they can pop it if I put the factory one back in. Then of course I, I wouldn't like the trigger. Sure. That's gonna be the problem. Yeah, yeah. with small rifles, uh, one of my buddy loaded some up and his canic would not pop them reliably and my Breta wouldn't pop them reliably either. Mm-hmm. So both of us have slightly lightened off factory springs. Or slightly lightened off factory uh, main springs and our gun. So we'd need to go back to factory to shoot those reliably Mm -hmm. if it comes to that it'll come to that but we're not there yet Mm -hmm. and also powder wise i got to use whatever i could find so Mm -hmm. right now like i i ran out of this and i i buy a couple pounds because that there's limits now so when you are ordering from on the uh, internet website usually they would put limits like one jug or one primer box or a couple so in that case, I, I bought different powders because they limit like two two pounds or five pounds, whatever. So I buy this and that, and some some of them was actually advertised for open rounds, open mm-hmm. major. So I got to use them, and actually they worked fine. I was pretty surprised. And basically, uh, I get lazy to chrono everything. So what I do is I would just do like a online research a little bit. So I, pi- I put nine minor and then powder name in it and people recommend things. And then I would just generally load a little bit hotter than people recommend because I like hotter ammo. And then I just go out, shoot. And my match ammo is the uh, factory ammo, uh, 124 grain, either PMC or federal. Uh, I just pop it next to next, next to each other, next to each other. And then they feel the same. Boom, good to go. They feel lighter. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna dial a couple more. If it's too hot, I'm like, oh, I dial down a little bit more. Very yeah. scientific. I love it. Yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been having a lot of fun with that actually. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, it's yep. worth mentioning a little bit with blue bullets. Well, with any bullets, uh, sometimes they don't weigh exactly what they're advertised to. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any affiliation with blue bullets. I pretty much use them exclusively just because. My press is set up for them. They work in my guns, and I don't have the patience or intelligence to be switching back and forth between a bunch of different components. Blue bullets always weigh a little bit heavier. Uh, typically, like I shoot the 147s, they'll weigh in at like 149, something like that. So it gives you a little extra giddy up, I suppose, at Chrono. But anyway, it's just just worth paying attention to. And one thing I was a little annoyed when I first started was most of the bullets I used before was 355 diameter, mm-hmm. but some of the coated bullets are actually thicker than that. Yes. And then that 
that's one of the reasons why I had the scraping issue because I wasn't belling enough. Mm-hmm. And I found Blue Bullets has the 355 diameter and the Breast Monkey, they actually offer different diameters. So 355 and 356. I actually experimented with both, but that's something if you are not really familiar with, you know, loading with the Cody Bullets, finding the 355 diameter for 9mm can be a little easier. I am not a, not at all a reloading expert, so please don't send me reloading questions. Sorry for the audio <laughs> rip listeners, but basically when you're belling out like the case mouth, you're you're flaring out the top of the mm-hmm. case to yes. make it easier for the bullet to sit on top. So if the if the case mouth is not like flared out enough when you try to seat the bullet, it's going to shave off pieces of it. So to do that, yeah. you would just bell out or flare out the top of the the case more so you don't you know shave the bullets when they're seating. There was definitely a learning curve for me. To make it run reliable, like not crazy smoke or accuracy crazy. Because <laughs> yes. I've had incidents where I would shoot five rounds and one or two rounds are like so far away from the center. And I had flyer issues. Yeah. That could be possible. Or I scraped it too much. That could be a problem. And another issue I had was I crimped it too much. The bullet was undersized. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't touching the rifling that all sorts of issues. Now I figured it out. It's super accurate. Uh, smoke is not much noticeable. It's running pretty good now. Yeah, uh, I'm sure some internet expert will correct me. But basically, when you're belling out the case mouth, you're you're flaring it out. And then when you run it back through your whatever crimp die, you basically just want to return the, the case mouth to parallel. So not so much that it's canting inwards, pinching the bullet but not so much that it's still flared out because that can cause feeding issues. Yes, that was me because I was mainly using hollow points for uh, matches and regular full metal jacket. And that was another issue. Anyways. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> um, well, guys, I'm sorry. For my topic, you have to hear more about rifle shooting because that's just what I've been doing lately. And uh, Andreas and I have had some conversations about that too. Um, basically, I've been working on marksmanship fundamentals. So just like, uh, honestly, 50-yard build drills, uh, practical accuracy, and doubles. Basically, anytime I go to the range, let's be straight. Uh, rifle ammo is definitely more expensive than handgun ammo. So it's not like you're going to go to the range with 500 or 1,000 rounds of 5.56 and just, you know, clang off a bunch of them. So if I go to the range, I'm typically not shooting as many. You know, maybe 100 or 200 rounds is it. And... I mean, honestly, uh, training a little bit with a rifle, anything inside of about 10 yards, there's just no reason to even pull the trigger, honestly. I mean, even at even at 15 yards for a lot of it, unless you have a very small target, but a full A zone, I mean, you don't you just roughly center it up. You hit the trigger twice. It doesn't even matter if you really hang on to it and they're going well, to be alphas. It's a, it's a test of staying relaxed. True. But I've gotten trigger freeze trying to really shred close stuff. I could see that. Uh, but anyway, I've been doing a lot of basically most of the shooting I do is 20 yards or farther on drills. And we're doing doubles a lot at 20, 25, all the way out to 50 yards. And honestly, learning a ton doing it. Uh, I've got quite a few questions about the grip, specifically how you grip a rifle or the method I use. Uh, Kim, you're a PCC guy, so maybe you have mm-hmm. the same experience, or a little bit different. But basically, on my support hand, I'm grabbing the forearm of the rifle. I don't use a hand stop or any like the K grips or pistol grips. I don't use any of that stuff. Um, I've talked to, I have some friends that do, 
I don't know, I get real real stuff with rifles for a living, and they're talking about it getting snagged on seatbelts and in and out of vehicles and stuff. Like, they don't use that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to use the same rifle they do, the same setup. So I don't have anything to snag, no forward grips or stops. Um, and then basically my, my uh, support hand, I, you know, clamp it around the forearm, and then I pull it into my shoulder, honestly, pretty much as hard as I possibly can without having anything bad happen, such as pain or I'm shaking or it's, you know, something uncomfortable. And then while I'm doing that, my support hand, or I'm sorry, my firing hand basically just presses the trigger. I'm not really putting force into it. It's basically just operating the safety and pressing the trigger, which is a lot like what we do with a, uh, you know, when shooting a handgun. Kim, does this sound fair with your PCC shooting? Uh, PCC is definitely a little bit different. So oh, when okay. I shoot rifle and PCC, uh, my grip style is the same, but the pull, amount of pull or push pull, I should say, push with the uh, shoulder or pectoral region. Sure. And pulling it with the left support side. Uh, of course, amount gets extremely different, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, extremely different. Uh, it depends on the muzzle device all the time. Oh, okay. Makes so sense. So you're talking A2 flesh hider. Uh -huh. uh, when I shoot A2 flesh hider, there's more amount of push-pull happening to the rifle uh, for the recoil-wise. Uh, if I shoot PCC, I have a vertical comp, and uh, it's very shortened uh, action. The bolt travel is a lot shorter, so action cycle is happening a lot faster. So there's not much of an energy, and also I'm using a hydraulic buffer too. So a lot of the shock when the buffer hits the back of the gun, the buffer mm -hmm. tube, uh, there's a lot less shock going on. So for PCC, sure. I am almost just holding it in place rather than pushing and pulling it. Okay. Yes. Oh, and interesting. It's the same way for the muzzle brake. So I have like SJC comp and a bunch of different uh, muzzle brakes I have. Some of them are tuned a little bit different, but generally muzzle brakes is about the same case. I just want to hold it in place without pushing, pulling a whole, whole lot. Uh, well, you, even if you are pushing and pulling, you can still shoot the same group size with the brake. But the thing is, if I shoot like that a thousand rounds in a practice, uh, I get really tired and shoulder gets tightened up. So the benefit of muzzle brake is just being able to completely relax your body. That's one thing. But my firing hand grip style is very different. A lot of people actually ask me why I grip it like that. So my firing hand thumb is not around the grip. It's on the other side. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like a sniper yeah. when you see snipers. Yeah. Or some people actually call it Californian grip because Californian ARs have weird grip mm -hmm. fin. So you cannot have the you cannot wrap around with your thumb. So I actually shoot with the right thumb on the other side. <laughs> okay. The The reason why I'm doing that is I get more consistent, faster splits. Mm -hmm. So basically what I did is I completely copy-pasted the way I grip my mice for playing Call of Duty or any shooting game. So when I grip my mice, my thumb is not completely wrapped around the mice. It's actually mm -hmm. resting right next to the index finger. Mm -hmm. Yes. So my, my finger and the index finger and the whole hand is kind of in a completely resting uh, position. So if I just rest my arm on a chair, on an armrest, completely relaxed, my fingers naturally curl in, right? Mm -hmm. Like if video watchers kind of see where my hand sure. is right now. So this is how I grip, basically, completely relaxed finger positions. So how does, actually, that, 
how does that work when you're, like, let's say you're at low ready with the safety on? How, how, is, your hand, how is your hand on the gun when you're at low ready? Same, exact same. I have the safety on the other side. Both oh, sides, so you, you're, you, you're running, you're right-handed, but okay, you're running an ambi safety. Okay. Yes. So I am actually using the left side or left T would use, right? So gotcha. right side safety. Yeah. If I am not having an ambi safety or uh, in other cases, if I should AK-47, mm -hmm. uh, where I have to disengage the safety with my index finger because it's so far forward, I just grip it like normal people. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. But just for the AR, I just put my thumb on the other side. In the case, uh, basically, it's easier to bump fire the gun. So we're talking 10 split, 10, 11 splits. Whew. I mean, bump fire can be faster, but... Yeah, so you're, you're telling me I should get a uh, ambi safety for my ARs. <laughs> yeah, that's actually... I have them anyway. I think they're, I think they're a necessity, okay. sir. Okay. No, I would say get them if you're left-handed, but I mean, if so it's up to The you. way I pull the trigger on a rifle and on a pistol is different. Yeah. Very interesting. It cool. is very interesting. Uh, right, well, for the, splits. All about that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, for the carbine I'm using, it is a, uh, it's just a 16-inch gun that's probably over-gassed because most factory rifles are. It has an A2, uh, yeah, flash hider on it and a Geisley, you know, just a, just a, a duty. We've got an SSAE for dirty people, I guess, that care. The other one's got a Super 3-gun trigger. So they're, they're pretty, I mean, I suppose they're gamer, but they're pretty reasonable like, you know, duty style triggers. Um, and then I think, well, I guess the other interesting part then with that was basically the same thing happened when I was shooting that as if shooting doubles with a handgun. So I got to a distance, like shooting 25, 30 yards, uh, where it's like, it's not just a gimme. I have to actually pay attention, focus on the fundamentals. And if I shoot very relaxed, like the, <laughs> the bullets go exactly where I want them to, I'm just stacking them in this nice little group. And as soon as I really want to go extra fast, and you know, split extra hard because I can get like 12s and 13s with that rifle. I could feel tension, shoulders, firing hand. I started kind of trying, trying to control the rifle or leaning into it. And the next thing I know, I'm pushing on it. So it was really good to try to, you know, just like shooting a handgun, maintain that same grip, be consistent, and then separate it out where my my trigger fingers just just pressing the trigger without yeah. leaning on the whole gun, which is way tougher to do than it sounds. Mm -hmm. By the way, there's a video on PSTG. Ooh, rifle, yeah, rifle recoil fundamentals. Oh, so yeah. basically, what we talked about, like the hand position, and huh? especially in rifle, uh, push and pull is more or less happening with the armpits or the lats, lat engagement, and the pectoral region. So basically, the el depends on the elbow position, how high your elbow is, how low your elbow is. The recoil pattern can definitely change that way. So yeah, PSTG. Uh, rifle, I think it was either called Rifle Fundamentals or Rifle Recoil Fundamentals. Yep, just yeah. found it. I will be watching that as soon as we're done with this mess. Uh, I was going to say for training group members, I'll link it in the show notes, but I'll, I'll see if I can make Ben do that. But if not, uh, yeah, training group people, you should check that out. Yes. Very cool. Uh, anyway, shooting with rifle has been really fun. And it's, it's, I mean, a lot of the same stuff happens. Uh, that happens with a handgun but I think it's important to stretch out the distances, obviously, because a rifle is yeah. way more capable than a handgun for, you know, reaching yeah. out. Typically, when I tell people about pistol recoil management, so if you're shooting doubles, mm -hmm. good goal is uh, five yards, two to three inch group at 20 splits is very nice goal for rifle-wise. 
at 25 yards, all alphas with under 15 splits. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's interesting you say that. I kind of have a theory I've been working on, which is more or less what you just said. But for me, I mean, it's 15 splits aren't necessarily pushing. So for me, it's uh, as fast as I can pull the trigger <laughs> out to 25 yards, it should be all alphas. Literally yes. as fast as I can go, which is like I was getting 12s. Yes, under 15. So I find the the regular mil spec trigger, mm -hmm. uh, 15 is like the fast, fast split. Yeah, for sure. Find. Yes. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. But so if I, you're I using hyperfire, if you're What's using Geisley or hyperfire, you're better shooting 12 splits. Yes, yes. or under. <laughs> yes. I could I not have some, I have some work to do that I was, I have a Geisley two stage on my <laughs> AR and I was getting like around 18 splits. At uh, at fifteen twenty yards, so that I gotta was, I gotta was, speed that up. That was slow spit splits when I was yeah. just starting out. <laughs> gotta flex on you a little bit. Uh, yeah. I do find Geisley stuff to be fantastic, just for a, a service. I I don't know duty style trigger. I'm sure there's lighter and better stuff, but I I like their two stage triggers. I think they're fantastic. It's not the trigger that's slowing me down. <laughs> Probably not. Well, guys, are you ready for a listener question? It's a real doozy. Indeed. Yes. Super spicy. No, it's not. Um, okay, so question. Uh, what do you recommend for the offseason? I don't want to not touch my gun at all, but I think a break from daily dry fire would be nice. What has worked for you in the past to not burn out, but not lose the ground you made? It seems like there's a training group podcast we probably did with the three of us that would address that too. Yeah. I hate to keep plugging my own stuff on Ben's platform. Yeah. Just saying. Uh what do you guys, let's take this, let's kind of break down the question a little bit. So do you guys agree that this is a good idea what this guy's proposing to to maybe not touch his gun at all, but back off a little bit during the off season? Does this sound like crazy talk or a good idea, guys? That sounds solid. Dude, I agree. It's too much. You can't do it year round. Taking, when we've talked about it here in the past, taking an off season break is very good. Like I'm messing around with like my Glocks a little bit, but it's when I feel like it. I don't. I'm not going to dry fire every single day without fail. You have to take a break, especially if there's no matches going on or you have time just to, you know, relax the holidays, enjoy family, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've switched from I have to dry fire every day to if something comes up, I'll, I'll not dry fire and not even feel bad about it. So I'm still dry firing more than I'm not. But um, if something else, again, if something comes up, like meeting meeting up with friends or I want to do something else over lunch, then uh, I'll do that. You get a last minute message asking you to podcast. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, professor, what do you say about not losing the ground that he's made? He's worried about getting worse from not practicing. Yes. So in my opinion, yes, maintenance is pretty important. Uh, but recharging is a big uh, focus of my off season. So recharging it kept me definitely you know not physically doing too much so my muscles can reset that's one thing and another thing is i would watch a lot of videos and a lot of things that motivate me like it could be call of duty right mm -hmm. uh, anything that's motivating me to go out and shoot and then i i tell myself okay i'm recharging recharging but i'm not gonna go out shoot i'm gonna keep recharging it until it fills up that motivation level so in fact what i did I actually took a two weeks off and today was my first session after two weeks. Uh, another very important thing in the off season is 
minimize the training time, but make that as efficient as possible. So for example, what I did today is I didn't even bring my belt out. I didn't have a belt. Of course, it was pretty cold, so I was pretty like jacketed up. Sure. Yeah. So what I did today is I was just, I set two targets. That was it. Five-yard target and the 15-yard target. And I started with the 25-yard shot for, for the 15-yard target, just step back, check my zero. That was first thing, of course. And then I would just do things low ready or high ready. And I didn't have a timer today. I just kind of uh, shot the pace I want to shoot with. So the first thing I shot was actually a recoil confirmation drill where you're confirming different things. So of course the split time is depends on what you're going to confirm. So I shoot different confirmation. I'm shooting predictive pairs. I'm shooting like stable dot, things like that. And then kind of feel, bring back the feel. The very first time my hand tension was cramping up, actually both arms. So support hand, I think I'm fine. Like I'm crushing it pretty hard. But firing hand was keep yanking the shot, like a sympathetic movement happening. And okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, hand re-separation exercise, keep my hand pretty relaxed, and then shoot again. So in this case, I am not reach, try, trying to reach a goal in terms of hitting a part-time or finishing a task per se. I'm just familiarizing myself with the grip, recoil, trigger pull, uh, hand tension, things like that. And then I'm going to just remember that and then start dry firing. But one another thing is I I don't dry fire with the belt on right now. I'm doing the same thing, just low ready and then present the gun. I may I may start drawing a little bit in a while, maybe next week. But once I get that fundamentals down, that's going to be in a good place to start. And that's that's not really particularly a heating. Uh, it doesn't frustrate me because there's no really success or fail. I'm just kind of getting it back. I'm feel, feeling into it, so to say. And then... I would say a lot of people during the off season should watch a lot of videos that will motivate you, like very, very good shooters. Uh, not necessarily shooters that may be super consistent, maybe some hero or zero, maybe okay too, just to see how like people push the uh, bar park uh, or the human limit mm -hmm. and then watch them. And I, I want to do that. I want to do that. And maybe uh, uh, I'll share a couple shooter I've been watching. Uh, of course, I, I watch a lot of shooters. Uh, I have over seven giga, 700 gigabytes in my hard drive in terms of videos. Uh, these two shooters, a lot of people in the US may not know, uh, but in an international uh, competition, they are very popular two shooters. Uh, both are actually from Philippines. Um, bro, bro Texan. Bro Texan is one shooter. And then... Uh, Vahil, I don't know if it's the correct pronunciation, Vahil Adrian, um, he's also Vahil Adrian Vary, that's his full name. Those two are actually pretty young shooter. Um, I think he's, they're still like maybe 20 years old or under, but they started shooting very young age and they're definitely the ones that's pushing the bar. They're shooting insane things, uh, probably things that I've never seen, even even some other world champions. What they're doing is pretty crazy. Uh, we're talking about at matches, at their match footage. Mm -hmm. Of course, people do crazy stuff in their practice, but not at matches. But they're doing it very consistently. So uh, they, they both finished top 
very often, like especially last year, uh, the European Handgun Championship winner was Bro Texan. Uh, like I said, American shooters may not know. So maybe like trying to study a super internationally popular shooter, not necessarily just in the US too, and get motivated. And I want to be able to do that. Like, oh, wow, that draws crazy and their splits crazy. And while shooting at the move at 15 yards, well, I mean, it's I've tried that, of course, but they're doing it pretty consistently at matches too. So things like that will get you motivated to maybe train and push your own human limit as well. No, I agree. Um, and I hate to keep just plugging our stuff the whole time, but a couple podcasts that you guys were on also, even if you're not, if you're training group members, you get the whole episode. If you're not, you still get the first half for free. Um, a couple episodes we did, guys, I was looking at, uh, there was one for assessing the year and setting goals. Um, what was the other one? Planning for the future. There's a couple we did uh with both these dudes that was uh probably be helpful for this type of thing was assessing the year your previous year setting goals for next year taking some off-season time and then kind of how to fill that time so anyway even if you're not a training group member you might find those helpful as far as losing ground i mean if you're away from the gun for a couple of weeks you're definitely it's going to take you a little bit to catch up but nowhere near as long as you have you taken off i mean if you don't touch the gun for two weeks or four weeks it's not going to take you two or four weeks to get back to where you were. It's going to come back within a couple of practice sessions. It's when I've gone on vacation and just not even thought about shooting for two weeks, I've come back and within a, a, a dry fire session or two, things are back where they were before I left. And in some cases, I'm, or in most cases, I'm, I just feel refreshed and mm-hmm. I'm able to make some, some progress after, uh, after coming away. I think I also agree. another another good thing to do during the off season is like take the time that you were putting into shooting and don't just I mean maybe for a little bit just watch TV but um, like once you've really recharged um, I think like athletes break it up but they have the uh, there's a post season and then there's an off season so the, the post season is it after you you've wrapped up your big matches for the year as you you just really don't think about your sport at all for a little bit. And then after the postseason, you go into off season where you start doing some general training. So maybe you do a lighter, uh, a dry fire and live fire regimen at that point, or maybe you don't live fire at all because it's cold where you live and you, you focus on some physical training. So you're just doing some weight exercises or calisthenics or like body weight stuff, like flexibility and speed training. Well, the other good part is after you take a break, I mean, here it'll be so cold where I, I won't want to go outside. I mean, I'll just. Oh, I know walk. I'm texting you sometimes like it's like in Atlanta, it's 45 degrees out and I'm on the range and you're telling me how there's three feet of snow where you are. Yes. No, I like I'm not. I'm absolutely not going to the range. It's just too cold. Yeah. And taking time away from it where I do something else, loading ammo or when do maintenance on my guns or playing video games with the homeboys like I was doing earlier tonight. Like sometimes just taking a little bit of time away is just good. To refresh oh, yeah. me and then and then i'll get to the point where i'll miss shooting i'm already starting to miss dry fire so then i'll want to dry fire again it's exciting it's something new and then you have fresh perspective and if you took that time away to watch videos or like kim saying uh research other shooters or you check out your training group member i <laughs> to keep plugging our own stuff there's a wealth of stuff on there you could just watch a video to get some different perspectives you're like oh that that sounds really interesting i want to take that to my training and then you get ideas and then when you start training you have new fresh stuff to look at as opposed to grinding the same thing every day that you've been doing for the last six months yeah one thing i want to share is 
um, I, th I think a lot of people can trick themselves by putting a thought into your mind. So <laughs> I'm not talking about weird psychic stuff over here. Uh -huh. But what I do very, very often is very small segmented training that I don't consider or I tell myself, this is not a training. I'm just having fun with it. So I always have a gun around me or my computer table. Of course, none of them are loaded. Mm -hmm. So in a small segment time, like a, I'm loading the computer or my microwave is running or something like that, I have a little bit of waiting time. I just play play around, not in terms of like, oh, well, there, there's a scar tissue over here. I got to wipe this down. Not like that, but actually like I, I'm going to look into a specific spot and then I'm going to try to move the gun as precisely as possible. Oh, I'm going to try this slow-mo. I'm going to try as fast as possible without tensing things up. I'm going to see what happens. So this kind of experimentation is segmented throughout the day for me. Of course, it could be experimentational or it could be just generally, oh, I'm going to just, you know, uh, trigger break, trigger break speed at speed. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see like if I can move that dot like completely stationary, things like that. Or I'm going to, you know, like shooting on the move when I go to the bathroom without a gun. I'm just going to point my finger <laughs> at a target. Or a certain spot, I like I'm gonna it. Shoot on the move to the bathroom. So this type <laughs> of things that are not stressful at all can mm -hmm. definitely help you to trick yourself that you're not dry firing or you're not training, but aiding your performance, eventually aiding your skill development. Uh, another fun one is if maybe you are waiting for your homeboys uh, to get on Skype so you can podcast and you're dry firing. Try switching around where you're like you're cueing, like where your mental focus is and put it on your hands, put it on the dot, put it on your iron sight, put it on your front sight, put it on the spot on the wall and just kind of like move your shift your attention around and see what happens. It's kind of interesting, I think, because there's stuff that happens without you even thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Uh, definitely for sure. There's part of the training I do that's hyper focused the whole period of time, but there's definitely like times where I'm scattered my focus so like oh i'm playing a round of computer game and then now my computer is loading to the next round then i'm just dry firing a little bit so i'm almost in a way i'm switching back and forth from cold to hot if that makes sense mm -hmm. so hyper focus to casually playing game and then hyper focus target 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 again kind of thing i love it well guys we're about out of time i suppose we didn't even have to paywall this thing <laughs> uh of course appreciate you guys so much for making the time i always enjoy visiting with both of you guys always i think this Thank was you. a bang up podcast as the saying goes and now the traditional line listeners if you have a question you want the answer to go to my website it's bensteger.com send me your question i'd love to hear from you boom <laughs>